Welcome to the King's Chapel, Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. So when I was considering what to preach tonight, I actually had another message in mind. Um, I've been on two simultaneous journeys in, in the last year. Um, one, uh, and, and Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen were, were super uh, influential in, our, in this journey early on, is last August, my wife and I walked through the loss of losing a, a son at 20 weeks and delivery and all the, all the emotions and all the grief. And, uh, and I thought I would preach on that, that journey. Um, as a matter of fact, there's been a few times I've thought, God, I'm ready to preach on that journey. And I already know what I'd preach. I'd preach on, on John chapter 11 where Lazarus is sick and Jesus waits four more days. And I just want to ask the question, what do you do when Jesus lawyers? What do you do in life when Jesus doesn't show up the way you thought he would show up? Um, but he won't let me preach that. So I'm just going to sit on it a little while longer. And um, I've been on another journey of the Lord dealing with me privately. And, and when I was praying, God, what do you want me to do? I just felt like the Holy Ghost said, invite them into our conversation. And so tonight as a preach, I don't really feel like I'm preaching a message as much as I'm allowing you to eavesdrop on a personal conversation between me and the Lord. And um, it, to be honest with you, it comes from a loving rebuke um, that the Lord gave me personally about 10 months ago. And if I was, I'm going to tell you the title tonight, and, and you can write it down, and, and, but I'm going to explain it because you're going to be like, what does that mean? If I was to title it tonight, I'd call it Koi Dog Christianity. And it comes from this loving rebuke that the Lord's taken me on for the last 10 months. Um, initially, I never thought I'd share it with anyone um, you ever had those moments where God takes you behind the woodshed, deals with you, and you're just like, I ain't telling nobody, right? <laughs> I'm going to repent of it. I'm going to fix it. And that's going to be between me and you, Jesus. Let's cover it and go. And, uh, and that's what I thought would happen. But the Lord so often in my life says, let's heal the wound and then show the scar. And, uh, and so that's kind of what I feel like is happening tonight. And um, the Lord took me back to this private conversation. If you were to get to know me, you would know um, I have a tendency to be driven, uh, which isn't always a bad attribute. That's why at the age of 32, I've, I'm on the brink of finishing my third degree, written a book, became an entrepreneur all by being in full-time ministry. And um, I don't say that to, to toot my own horn, where, where we come from, that's what we would say. I just say that as context for the, re, the rebuke that the Lord corrected in my life. Um, and so here's the reality, pastor, doctorate degree, author, entrepreneur are all good things, and they all, they all portray good parts and good, 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 good attributes, but they make, and what's happened in my life is they make me appear successful to the onlooker, and so the accomplishments of a driven personality have allowed me to receive, at, for my age, a lot of attaboys from people that I've admired over the years, and, and that became a driver in my life, um, but the past year, in the middle of the success, in the middle of the accolades, in the middle of all the stuff that looked good, I privately spiraled, uh, not into sin, but into apathy, which can be almost as dangerous as sin. Um, and, and as you see, I was, I was already stretching myself to the max, and, and then you add in the loss of my family, and I walked through my wife and I in the year 2020, and it became this recipe for disaster so October of last year, October of 2020, 10 months ago, I am actually, I'm in Arkansas. 
I, 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 there's a church there that I've preached at for over a decade. I'm down in Arkansas. One of the, the pastors of that church is a guy named Hansel Bowman. Hans is my, one of my closest friends in the world. And, and so I always go up a few days early, and me and Hans, we, we're avid outdoorsmen. And so we go, we usually find ourselves in camouflage in the woods somewhere uh, hunting an animal. And that's what we were doing. It, it, we were uh, in a tree stand, and I'm all by myself. And, and for the first time in months, sitting in that tree stand in Arkansas last October, I found myself still. wasn't working on a dissertation. I wasn't helping oversee our staff. I, I wasn't running the business that I had started. I wasn't chasing my kids around. Um, and in that moment, sitting there in the tree stand all by myself, um, I began to think about my daughters. I began to think about my wife. And I was overwhelmed with this feeling of loneliness sitting in that tree stand. Um, and the thought that came to me in that moment was this, is I miss my girls. Um, and that's, that's why my house is all girls, so that's what I refer to as my family unit. And so the thought I had in that moment when I was facing the, the ache of loneliness was I miss my girls. And, and in that moment of loneliness, the Lord began to deal with me concerning my family life and my spiritual life. My family life, he began to talk to me about how I was too tired, too extended, and too driven. And from that, I, I, I drove home from preaching that Sunday. I called my wife. I had started a business. I said, hey, I'm selling the business. I'm out. And she said, are you sure? And, I, and within a week, it was gone and just because that was part of the Lord's correcting in my own life. And then spiritually, the Lord, the Lord showed me that how I ached in that moment for my family was how he had been aching for me, that he missed me. So for 10 months, I've been trying to correct, and tonight I just feel compelled by the Lord to share some of what the Holy Spirit's been working in me, and I believe that maybe possibly you'll be able to find some of your own story in the context of my story. Um, and I want to tell you, here's what the Lord spoke to me and, and what I've expounded on for us tonight. And what I felt like the Lord said to me was this, my heart is grieved. The heart of the Father is grieved. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's grieved. He misses you. He misses your spiritual passion and your wholehearted devotion. He wants you back. The problem is you're not even aware that you've drifted. It's been so slow, so subtle. The compromise is so small that they are almost unnoticeable. When you compare yourself to the sins of other people, you are so far ahead of them spiritually that the danger is you'll miss tonight. You'll assume that as we process this word together, that it's for somebody else. You might even be tempted to identify them as the word is preached. And I feel like the Lord says in this moment to stop. He's not talking to anyone else. He's talking to you tonight. This is not a message for reprobates, pagans, or blasphemers. It's the cry of the father to his children. Children who are very well moral, religious, churchgoers, maybe ministry assistants and pastors. But they're children whose spiritual affection has waned, whose spiritual passion has grown cold. Children who have become satisfied, complacent, and comfortable, and it's a warning for us. So during this 10-month journey, there's been this mental image has come to mind, and honestly, it's something I haven't thought of in a long time until just a few months ago. So again, if you know me, uh, you would know that I'm, I'm, I'm a, 
what we would call me, where I'm from, is a redneck, a country boy. I am, you know, where I grew up at in, in the boot hill of Missouri, there's more stray dogs than people. Right, I grew up on a gravel road in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the, the, a couple of cornfields over was a place called Gobbler, Missouri. Down the road was Shake Rag. And I grew up in Dogskin Church of God, okay? So, um, yeah, that's what the name of it was. I don't know why it was called Dogskin Church of God. That's just what it was called. So I grew up real country. And I say that to tell you that last December, my wife and I bought a house, and I finally got her out of town back into the country, and I am at home again, right? I've got, I've got chickens. I've got a tiller for the garden. I bought a mower with a big deck, and I am excited. My wife is adjusting, okay? She, she has never not lived in town. The dogs got sprayed by a skunk the first night out, and so that she just had to adjust real fast, you know? And I say that to tell you this. We were... We moved out there, and we hadn't been living out there a month or so, and, um, and my wife calls me, and she says, Chad, you are never going to believe what I just saw, and I'm, what, babe? I don't know, and she said, I just saw a wolf. Now, in Alaska, that y'all may see wolves. I don't know, but where I'm from, you don't see wolves unless you go to a zoo, okay? There, it's not... It's not really a, like a, a high-spotted animal where I'm from. And I remember saying, well, babe, where did you see this said wolf, you know? And she's like, you know, on the corner of 177 and Lexington, which is right in the middle of town. And I'm like, no, certainly not a wolf right there, not really wolf territory, you know? And she began to explain it, and then uh, I realized real quick my wife saw a coyote, and, uh, and, that's, and what she <laughs> assumed was a wolf was a coyote. And this went on for a few weeks. You know, she would see, and she's like, Chad, I saw the wolf again. And I'm like, there's no wolf, Monica. It's a, it's a coyote. And, she, uh, and finally, uh, she said, Chad, did you see the wolf got hit? It's on the side of the road. And I was so intrigued. I'm like, all right, babe. Get in the truck. We're going to go see this thing, right? And so we get in the truck, and we drive by it, and my wife says, see, Chad, that's the wolf. It was a deer on the side of the road. This is a true story, okay? And I got permission to share the story before I showed it, okay? So she's, I love you, babe, if you're still awake and watching online. Uh, but... And she said, like, this is a true story. I turned around on somebody's driveway and went back, and I was like, listen, I pay a lot of money for these contacts, and if they ain't working, we need to get something checked out, you know? And <laughs> so the moral of that story is I have lost all confidence in my wife's ability to identify wild animals. <laughs> uh my wife's good at a lot of things, but, but um, yeah, identifying animals is probably not at the top of the list. <laughs> so as, as this, this wolf that I'm 100% sure was a coyote started showing, I don't know, y'all might call them coyotes where you're from, but we're coyotes where I'm from. And um, it took me, it, there's, the Lord just kind of used that to take me back to a mental image of, of something that my grandpa used to tell me about when I was growing up. And they would tell me the legend of this, of what was called a koi dog. Anybody ever heard of a koi dog? So uh, a koi dog is, it's, it's considered a myth, but it's actually true. It doesn't happen often, but, it, but occasionally what will happen is a domesticated dog and a wild coyote will breed. And, then, and the, the, the offspring of that breeding is called a koi dog. 
And, uh, and, and so, um, again, doesn't happen very often, and it's not really a good thing when it does happen because here's what happens when, when the wild dog and the domesticated dog breed and you get this koi dog. The, you see, the, the wild dog, is, um, it's dangerous, but it's scared of people, okay? The, the domesticated dog is not dangerous, but it's also not scared of people. And so what happens often when you mix this, this, this genetics together is the tame part of the dog doesn't make it scared to be close to people, but the wild part of the dog makes it dangerous when it's in proximity to people. And so there's stories of how packs of koi dogs will, will get around farmers, and, and, you know, and it's just not a good scenario for them. And, and as the Lord began to speak with me about how he's grieved with me, how unnoticeably my heart has drifted, the good things have replaced the best things. My heart feels satisfied because I'm doing ministry and I'm around the church all day and I'm reading my Bible and I'm preparing messages and I'm leading life groups. And, and the Lord speaks to me that he's not mad at me. He's not angry. But you see, it wasn't this legalistic hellfire rebuke. It was, it was really a father who missed his son. And, and in that... Um, he began to deal with me about the image of a koi dog. I believe it's a prophetic image of the danger of what can happen in my life and in your life when we live life in the middle. You see, you see, the dogs on their own aren't really a problem. The coyote, when it's when it's a full-blooded coyote, isn't a problem. The domesticated dog, when it's a full-blooded domesticated dog, isn't a problem. But when you intermingle and they breed together, and the, and you and you put a little bit of both in something that wasn't ever supposed to be together, it becomes dangerous. And I believe it's a prophetic picture of what it's like when we live life in the middle and how dangerous that can be for you and I. You see, it's, it's um, and I'm going to read a passage. If I was like, is he ever going to get to the Bible? Uh, I'm going to read a passage from Revelations chapter 3, which is the passage the Lord took me to, because it's one thing to be hot, and it's one thing to be cold, but it's altogether dangerous when we live life being a little bit of both. You see, again, our danger is not in, just like the koi dog, our danger is not in being one or the other. Our danger is in being just a little bit of both. That's why James said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so you might think that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about the koi dog, but I believe the dilemma represented here is what we would call Laodiceans. So if you have the Word of God, you can turn to Revelations chapter 3. I want to read to you verses 14 and through 16, and here's what it says. It says, And the angel of the Lord, uh, of the, I'm sorry, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans writes these things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Verse 15, I know your works, and that you are neither cold nor hot, but I wish that you were. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then go on and read verse 17. It says, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, we're not going to stop there, but we're not going to leave it there. So don't think this message has no hope. Um, 
In this message to the Laodicean church, we see what I would call the coy dog Christian, the coy dog believer, because they're a little bit of both. They're kind of hot, and they're kind of cold, and really they're just lukewarm. Anybody ever had lukewarm coffee? Right, yeah, I saw the look on your face. <laughs> Nobody enjoys it. Everybody, which y'all think that it's hot in Alaska right now. One of my, one of the guys on our team said Alaska is just room temperature. Uh, you know, <laughs> where we're from, <laughs> and this is um, the humidity is 105 right now. You know, so it's it's not where we're from. But you ever been on a hot day like this? Went to thought grab grab what you thought was a cold glass of water, and it it was lukewarm. <laughs> yeah, that that. And, and really what the Lord says is that's how I feel when one of my kids are right there in the middle. You, you see, these are his people in Revelations 3. They're Christ followers, but they are so busy doing spiritual work. They're affluent. They have their needs met. And there is because of that, they have little to no dependency on God because they've got all their needs met. And so their lack of dependency causes a lack of desperation for his presence. They have no need to pursue after him, and their needs are met, and and they are blinded by the spiritual condition they find themselves in. You see, here's what you have to understand. They're good people. They're moral people. They are church-going people. They're charitable and generous, and yet because there's enough good in them that they are unaware that their spiritual passion has waned, they are blinded to their true spiritual condition. That's where I found myself at 10 months ago. And here's, here's the marks of a coy dog Christian or the Laodicean heart. One, you, if you ever find yourself here, you, you find yourself indifferent. You see, in this passage in Revelation, there's a hint towards indifference. Maybe you've been there. Um, you know, I love the gospel, but when someone else mutilates it, I don't really care. I'm not going to speak up about it. Or I have these convictions, but I don't want to create a stir and stand up for them. So I'll just keep quiet. It's just an indifference. It's a lack of passion, a lack of commitment to a cause. There's spiritual carelessness when it comes to making choices, and it's easy for things to get gray real quick. There's complacency. You see, they were content with their material possessions, so they just got complacent. There's self-focus. That's where we consume more than we contribute. There's spiritual satisfaction. It's just okay. There's no hunger. There's no spiritual appetite. And because of that, the worst thing that happens is they, they become blinded to their spiritual condition. And here's what happens. It's so easy to hear the characteristics of a coy dog Christian and reason away that God's not talking about me. Right? I've checked all the boxes. I've got a leadership position in the church. I pay my, my tithes. I show up for prayer. I go through my routines. And comparatively speaking, I'm so much better than those other people anyways. You see, it's easy it's easy for us to say that he's got to be talking about someone else because I have checked all the boxes, but I just want to remind you tonight that he's not. He's talking to us, to pastors and deacons and church leaders, and he's talking to all of us. But here's the thing. God in his loving rebuke doesn't leave them hopeless. And he responds in verse 18 this way. I counsel you. You think you've got it all figured out, and you think you've got all your needs met. But let me counsel you. I counsel you to buy from me, gold refined in the fire, 
that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyes salve that you may see. So why would God tell them to buy gold from him? They've got all their needs met. They've got everything figured out. They are, they're, de- they're not dependent on anything. And here's the thing, because he understands the danger of them pursuing gold of another kind. It's, it's, it's that they have found temporary fulfillment in the material things of, from the world in the pursuit of their own life. And what God is trying to tell them is that you don't realize, but the goal you've invested your life in, the material things that you've pursued, your careers, your titles, your degrees, your successes, they bring temporary satisfaction, but they cannot bear the weight of the human soul. And so... What, what he's saying is all that stuff's going to leave you, you're going to crash. It's going to leave you empty. And God is challenging them to change their pursuit from those things to him. Buy gold from me. Pursue what, what I have to offer. Pursue the things that will last for all eternity. Pursue the things that will bear the weight of your soul. In the good times, in the bad times, in the brokenness, take what I'm offering you and you'll really become rich. You see, only when you change the item of your pursuit will salve be applied and you'll be able to see how far you've actually drifted. You see, God is saying to them, change the focus of your pursuit because your focus will always determine your future. The only way to change your priority is to change your focus. You see, I want to tell you, remind you, it's elementary, but it's important. Your heart was created for him. The only way that your heart will ever find true satisfaction is in pursuit of him. And what God says to the Laodicean church and the coy dog Christian, those who are half wild and half domesticated, can't decide if I'm going to go all in or stay all out, is this in verse 19 and 20 of Revelation 3. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. It's one of those verses you don't really like in the Bible. He chastens those that he loves. Is that what you put on your refrigerator? Is that your memory verse on the mirror this week? He chastens those that he loves. Thank you, Lord, for that. Um, He desires us to be made into his image, and because of that, in a loving way, he rebukes and he disciplines. It's it's in a loving way what happens is God starts to meddle in our lives, and he brings us to moments like this so he can regain our attention and our passion. And a lot of that, he says, be zealous and repent. You know, repentance, this is a new you guys. You've heard this before. Repentance is just doing a 180. Repentance is just saying to God, I'm back. I hear you. I'm aware that my heart has drifted. My spiritual passions have grown cold. I'm making compromises I used to wouldn't have made. There was a day that you were closer and prayer was more real and the word of God was more alive, but my soul's drifted. So today I repent. I turn back, God. You see, he's saying, turn your heart back to me. So many times, I don't. I'm, if you grew up like I did, Maybe you did, but if you grew up like I did, you grew up thinking God was mad all the time, <laughs> right? I grew up in this really legalistic holiness. Dogs get in church, God wasn't no joke, okay? Like, 
I, I kept a, a, a pup tent at the altar because I just needed to stay there all the time. If it was fun, it was sin, you know. And so I just, I just knew a God. And I'm, let me let me tell you something. I'm thankful to be raised the way that I was because I'd be rather I'd be rather be raised with a conscience than to think that grace will just cover everything. I don't have to have any conviction in life. And so I don't I don't. I have learned that it's not the full image of God, but it wasn't an entirely wrong image of God. And so, I, but I did. I believed that, that I never understood a God who could take pleasure in anything. Just, I just didn't. I, I, I believed in a God that was always angry and that I could never live up to his expectations. But as I've come to understand grace and the God of the Bible, I've understood a God who knows delight. So I'm reiterating to you what I felt God said to me I'm not angry. I'm grieved. I want you back. And if you'll turn your heart to me, I'll renew your relationship and I'll work into your spiritual passion and your spiritual appetite. You know, I remember I had some Charles Burden stuff in here, but it's long and I don't want to read it now. But um, that I'll tell you another story. I remember a few years ago, 2016, my wife bought me a ticket to to go see Kobe Bryant's last game on the road. And so I went to Oklahoma City, and I watched Kobe play his last game, and it was awesome. Everybody was a Kobe fan, uh, which you think would be the most memorable part of that trip, but it wasn't. <laughs> what the most memorable part of that trip for me was on the ride home. I'm driving somewhere through Oklahoma, paying way too much to pay to drive down these terrible roads. I, the guy who's from Oklahoma, I'm sorry, but you, I paid a lot of money to drive on bad roads in Oklahoma. And... Uh, <laughs> And there's a, there's a billboard, and on the billboard it says, I want you to want me, and which was an, a, a thought to try to get somebody to buy the billboard, and apparently it was an 80s rock song at some point too. But the Lord speaks to me in that moment and says, I want you to want me. And it's what I feel tonight. It's what I felt 10 months ago is the Lord just saying, I just, I don't, I don't want you to have, I don't want your gifts. <laughs> I don't want your talents. I don't. I want you to use them, but I want you to use them because the heart is, I just want you. And the Lord's saying, I want you to want me. You see, it's the real danger of coy dog Christianity. Something profound is alluded to in Revelation 3, verse 20, when Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Can I just say, if he's having to stand and knock at the place of affection in your heart, it means that something has pushed him aside. His heart is grieved. The heart of the Father is grieved, not mad, not angry. He's just heartbroken. He misses you. He misses your spiritual passion. He misses your wholehearted devotion. And he wants us back. I would ask you the same thing tonight that Elisha asked the people on Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18, 21. Elisha came to all the people and he said, How long will you falter? between two opinions. I want to want to leave you as I, I want to hit the wrap-up button. I want to leave you with a biblical illustration. In Deuteronomy 33, Moses is preaching his farewell sermon. So Deuteronomy 33, Moses' farewell sermon, he is on the verge of death. As a matter of fact, in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, they carried him to the grave. So at this point in Moses' life, he's an old man. He's lived a lot of life. He's seen God do a lot of things. And he goes through this long sermon in Deuteronomy 33, and it's this eloquent last speech as a statesman to the people of God. And in that last 
in that last speech, that last sermon as an old man, he, he makes this slight reference in verse 16. And here's what it says. Deuteronomy 33, 16, with the precious things of the earth and its fullness and the favor of him who dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. And if, if you just read through that, you wouldn't probably think anything in the world about any of those lines. But I want to point out that without hesitation, when Moses refers to God, he refers to him as the God who dwelt in the bush. You, you see, he could have referred to Moses as anything he wanted to in that or Moses could refer to God as anything he wanted to in that moment. In his last sermon, in his farewell message, and he and he is affectionately referencing the God who has done so much in his life and that he has given so much to. And he could have said, to him who parted the Red Seas, to him who delivered us out of Egypt, to him who laid manna on the ground like dew, every, to him who showed me that one moment, he showed me the backside of his glory. He could have... He could have referred to God in his last sermon, in, in his last affectionate reference. He, he could have made God whatever he would have wanted to, and, and it would have been completely appropriate and completely true. But in Moses' last affectionate response to God or referral to God, he said, that's the God who dwelt in the bush. Why? Because 40 years before that final sermon, Moses met God in a way he never had before. You see, it, undoubtedly, he had had moments with God before Exodus chapter 3. And we read his life after Exodus 3, and we know he had some really awesome God moments after Exodus 3. But, but it was in that moment that the, the bush was on fire but not consumed that marked Moses the rest of his life. It was in that moment for the, for the rest of Moses' entire life, that moment on the backside of a desert when God showed up in a bush that was, was on fire but not consumed by fire, that moment altered Moses' life and it overshadowed everything else that God ever did because, because there was an intimacy in that moment. There was a power in that moment. The presence of God was in the bush in that moment. And Moses had blown it. He had wasted everything that had happened. The, the guy who tried to kill him, he ended up calling Grandpa. And he was in the palace. And he had everything you could ever dream of. But in a moment of isolation, he blew it. And he finds himself on the backside of the desert thinking he had wasted everything. And God shows up to him in his darkest moment and reminds him, that you have purpose and it shifted Moses for the rest of his life and so as an old man in his last days he referred to God and said I remember when God showed up and I was nothing before I ever got the tablets before I ever saw the glory before he ever gave me a staff or a miracle that's what shifted me you see when Moses' mind was racing in his final thoughts attempting to describe God in a flippant but very natural way. Moses calls him the one who dwelt in the bush. Can you imagine it with me? 
Moses, an elderly man, sitting before the people of God. And he says, oh, I remember God. And I remember when I was broken. And I remember when I had made the worst mistake. And I remember when everyone had forgotten me and I was running for my life. And he showed up in the bush. Because Moses met God in that fire. It marked him. It changed him. It was unforgettable. And I believe what God says to us tonight, to to me as a pastor, to my team of short-term missionaries, to, to you as staff, to you as leaders, to you as people who attend and serve at, at King's Chapel, Alaska, I believe he is calling us back to that moment, to that moment where he marked us for the very first time, to that moment of our first love, that, that do you remember when you could walk into his presence and your eyes would grow misty? I was on a plane here this week and, and, I, and I was sitting on the plane and by myself and it had gotten dark and, and I remember thinking, God, these are the days I, I used to dream about. And it blew my mind it, because, because who am I that, that I should be here? Who am I that, that Pastor Daniel and Pastor Cameron would ever, who am I that Pastor Gary would ever say, yeah, come and help me lead my staff? Who You don't know my story. You don't know what it was like to, to grow up in my shoes. And I just remember, I, but there was something on that gravel road in the middle of nowhere. There is something that shifted in my heart. And as a little boy, I just believe, God, you'll use me. If I say yes, God, you'll use me. And I thought this. I thought this on the plane on the way here, and I said, God, don't ever let me get used to this, and don't ever let me take it for granted. Because inside, I'm just a little boy on a gravel road that has a dream that God will use him. And I don't know your story. I don't know, I don't know where God marked you, but I know this. It's still the most important part of your story. I don't mean this degradingly or arrogantly, but what I have found in leading a staff and and being in ministry the last 10 years, being around a lot of saved folk, is the longer it, it seems that we walk with him, the harder it is to get us to feel something when we walk into his presence. And there needs to be a shift in our hearts where it shouldn't take so much to feel it. You see, I just want to say this. If, if the team will come, if you'll stand with me. I want to tell you what I felt like God told me in that tree stand in Arkansas. It's just this. God's not mad at you. God's not upset with you. God doesn't have you on a litmus test that you're not performing at the level you should. The word of the Lord tonight is this, and I know it's so simple, and and, and, and anybody could have said it, but I'll just, this is what I feel. God misses you. He misses you. It's what I couldn't get. It's what I couldn't get sitting in that that tree stand in Arkansas. It's, It's, you see, All of my life, I've been trying to make God proud. All of my life, that's what all the accomplishments were about. 
That's what all the success was about. And it looked good on paper, and people applauded me, and they asked me to be on teams. But what they didn't know was it was just medicine for a broken heart. And all of my life, I've been trying to prove that I'm somebody that somebody can be proud of. And sitting in a tree stand in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, when I say the middle of nowhere, the closest town was called 56, Arkansas. 56, right? So, I mean, and in a tree stand in the middle of nowhere in some hand-me-down camo. I didn't even have my, my good camo on. Right? God shows up. And he says, Chad, I'm already proud of you. God, I, Chad, I, I, I love you and I like you. Right? You ever... <laughs> God loves you, yeah, but in my mind, I'm like by default because he loves everybody. <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm special. <laughs> I'm just clumped in. And uh, can I tell you that God doesn't just love you, he likes you. That Psalm 139, he created you in your mother's womb. He knit everything that's about you together. He created with you, you with you, with your personality and your quirks and your sense of humor and your hobbies. And the greatest thing the enemy tries to get us to do in the church is fall into the sin of comparison where you look at Pastor Daniel or you look at your neighbor or you look at somebody else and say, well, I don't have what they have, so God must not want me or use me or like me the way that he would them. But I want to remind you, he's no respecter of persons. He misses you. He's already proud of you. I love the story. Jesus gets baptized by John. And, and the sky splits, the dove descends, and, and the, the, the father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know why I like that? Because Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done a miracle. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't, he hadn't, he hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't preached a message. The only thing he has said was, yes, God, I'll do what you want. And God said, I am proud of you, and I approve of your heart. I don't approve of what you do. I just approve of the fact that you're willing to follow me. And I want to tell you the same thing tonight. You don't have to do another thing. You don't have to get another degree. You don't have to write a book. You don't have to preach a message. You don't have to sing a song. All you got to do is say yes on the inside and there's a God in heaven who applauds your obedience and say I'll do whatever I'll do whatever I don't know can I balance it don't take it as a cop out right mom I'm not going to college now because God said I don't have to don't (laughs) don't take a cop out just know it's not what your approval is tonight I'm I'm relinquishing myself a responsibility what I mean by that is so often on how you feel Pastor Daniel but how I feel when I get to this moment I feel like it's my job to close the deal for the people in God right like I got to help you get to him that's really not my job it's your job so I'm relinquishing myself of the responsibility to try to get you to respond. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have the, the worship team, they're going to lead us in a song. I'm going to pray for you. And 
We're just going to make the whole front an altar tonight. And I'm just going to create space. And if you need to respond, if you, if you need another bush moment, Pastor Daniel in, in the offering talked about remembering. If you need to remember those first, I'll do it. Sometimes I'll go back and listen to old CDs and, and old. Why? Not because it's, I mean, the new stuff's better, right? But it takes me back to a place before I knew anything. Before I ever, before I ever preached a message, before anybody ever asked Chad to come do anything. Just a kid with a dream. And a God who believed in him. Tonight, I just I want to encourage you to remember and to respond. To create some space for a bush moment where God can meet you here. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.